Welcome to the Washington Weekly, a ministry of Washington Baptist Church. This podcast is devoted to getting you into God's Word and equipping you to serve. I'm your host, Trent Henson, Associate Pastor. On today's episode, I'll talk about the Bible verse Samson Occam used to boldly declare the gospel to a criminal awaiting execution. I'll also interview another member of Washington so you can learn more about our people and our ministries. Each week, I talk about Bible verses that impacted people or situations. My aim is to show the transforming power of God's Word. Today, I'll talk about the Bible verse that a preacher used to preach an execution sermon. Samson Occam was born in Connecticut in 1723. He was a member of the Mohegan Nation. He grew up following the polytheistic beliefs of his Native American tribe. As a young boy, he came into contact with Christian missionaries because of the impact of the Great Awakening in the American colonies. At age 17, Occam was converted under the preaching of James Davenport. Occam said, I discovered the way of salvation through Jesus Christ and was enabled to put my trust in Him alone for life and salvation. After learning the gospel, he had a desire to read and study the Bible for himself. He spent several years trying to learn to speak English and gain more education so he could lead others to Christ. In 1743, when Ockham was 20 years old, his family enrolled him in Reverend Eleazar Wheelock's private school in Connecticut. There he stayed with Wheelock for four years, and he learned English, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. He was an incredible student. After leaving Wheelock's school, Ockham served as a schoolmaster and a pastor for the Montauk tribe from 1749 to 1761. In 1759, he was ordained as a Presbyterian minister. In the 1760s, he joined forces again with Wheelock in an effort to start a school for Native Americans. In 1765, Ockham journeyed to Britain to raise money to start the school. He gained instant fame, as Ockham was the first Native American to preach in Britain. The people were amazed at his intellect. He spent two years traveling throughout Britain, preaching to audiences of more than 3,000. He preached in George Whitfield's London church, met John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, and gained the support of Andrew Gifford, the prominent Baptist pastor. He was also the guest of many dignitaries, as he received an invitation to George III's robing ceremony. At the end of this time in Britain, Ockham raised an astounding 12,000 pounds for the new school. This was more than enough to get the school started. The school would later become Dartmouth College. When he returned to America, Ockham was extremely popular, especially among his fellow Native Americans. In 1771, Moses Paul, a member of the Mohican community, killed a white settler in a drunken rage. Moses Paul was sentenced to death by hanging for his crime. He requested that Ockham deliver his execution sermon. It was fairly common for public sermons to be given in executions in those days. This was the town's first public hanging in 22 years. The rarity of the event 
plus the unique chance to hear a well-known Native American preach at the execution of one of his own people, drew a large crowd. Moses Paul asked Occam to preach his execution sermon because he believed he was being hanged because he was an Indian who killed a white man. His appeals were denied, but he believed that Occam's presence would allow him to get the last say. On September 2, 1772, thousands gathered to listen to the sermon and witness the execution. Occam understood the magnitude of the moment. He was faced with the challenge of reaching three audiences, Moses Paul, his native people, and the white settlers. He wanted to preach a sermon that would allow him to address the sin of drunkenness, lead the criminal to repentance, and glorify God. He chose one verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse is one of a handful of verses that truly gives you the essence of the gospel. It shows us the need for a Savior, the difference that Savior makes, and it even provides the name of that Savior. Let me put this verse into context. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that God's grace and forgiveness does not give us a license to sin. The two main contrasts in this chapter are death and life. In the 23 verses of Romans 6, the words die, dead, or death appear 16 times, and the words life, live, or alive appear 9 times. It tells us that before salvation we were slaves to sin, which leads to death. But now, because of Christ, we are slaves to righteousness, which leads to life. The chapter is summed up in this last verse, verse 23, by saying the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want to walk you through some of Samson Occam's sermon. It really is an amazing sermon. He starts the sermon by describing the reality of death and life for those who were there. He says, quote, Death is called the king of terrors, and it ought to be the subject of every man and woman's thoughts daily, because it is that unto which they are liable every moment of their lives. For we must all come to it. How soon we cannot tell, whether we are prepared or not prepared, whether death is welcome or not welcome. We must feel the force of it. Whether we concern ourselves with death or not, it will concern itself with us. But on the other hand, life is the most precious thing and ought to be most desired by all rational creatures. It ought to be prized above all things. Yet there is nothing so abused and despised as life and nothing so neglected. I mean, eternal life is shamefully disregarded by men in general and eternal death is chosen rather than life. As long as Christ is neglected, life is refused. As long as sin is cherished, death is chosen. End quote. After that, he talked about the nature of sin, saying it's the transgression of the law, a poison that has blinded us and made us dishonest and deceitful. And then he discussed the ultimate consequence of sin, Death, physical death and spiritual death. 
he described also the gift of life that can only come through Jesus. He says, quote, We are unworthy of eternal life, yet God can find it in his heart to give it, and it is altogether unmerited. It is a free gift to undeserving and hell-deserving sinners of mankind. It is altogether God's sovereign good pleasure to give it. It is a free grace and sovereign mercy, and from the unbounded goodness of God. He was self-moved to do it. And it is said that this life is given in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. It cannot be given in any other way, but in and through the death and suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ himself is the gift, and he is the Christian's life. End quote. Next, Occam addressed Moses Paul personally. He said, quote, My poor unhappy brother Moses, as it was your own desire that I should preach to you this last discourse, so I shall speak to you plainly. And now God says, Be sure your sins will find you out. And now, poor Moses, your sins have found you out, and they have overtaken you this day. The day of your death is now come. The king of terrors is at hand, and you have but very few moments to breathe in this world. The law of man and the holy laws of Jehovah call aloud for the destruction of your mortal life. This terrible day of execution is come. The unwelcome guard is about you. The fatal instruments of death are now made ready. Your coffin and your grave, your last lodging are open and ready to receive you. Alas, poor Moses, now you know by sad, by woeful experience, the living truth of our text, that the wages of sin is death. O oh, poor Moses, see what you have done, and now repent, repent. I say again, repent. See how the blood you shed cries against you, and the avenger of blood is at your heels. O oh, fly, fly to the blood of the Lamb of God, for the pardon of all your aggravated sins. It is the free gift offered to the greatest sinners, and upon their true repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be welcomed to the life they have spoken of. It is offered upon free terms. He that hath no money may come. He that hath no righteousness, no goodness may come. The call is to poor, undone sinners. The call is not to the righteous, but sinners calling them to repentance. Hear the voice of the Son of the Most High God. Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a call, a gracious call to you, poor Moses, under your present and burdened distress. End quote. He concluded the sermon by speaking to the crowd, mostly his native people, about the sin of drunkenness. He said, quote, you see the woeful consequences of sin by seeing this, our poor, miserable countryman now before us, who is to die this day for his sins and great wickedness. And it was the sin of drunkenness that has brought this destruction and untimely death upon him. There is a dreadful woe who denounced from the Almighty against drunkards. And it is this sin, this abominable, this beastly and accursed sin of drunkenness that has stripped us of every desirable comfort in this life. By this we are poor, miserable, and wretched. By this sin we have no name nor credit in the world among polite nations. For this sin we are despised in the world, 
and it is all right and just, for we are despised ourselves more. And if we don't regard ourselves, who will regard us? Further, when a person is drunk, he's just good for nothing in the world. He is of no service to himself, to his family, to his neighbors, or to his country. And how much more unfit is he to serve God? Yet we are just fit for the service of the devil. And now let me exhort you all to break from your drunkenness by a gospel repentance and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. End quote. It's uncertain if this sermon had any impact at all on Moses Paul. He made no public reaction or statement that day. He was led to the gallows shortly after the service and executed for his crime. However, the sermon had a great and lasting impact. The crowd who heard the sermon were struck by its truth and power. Many called for the sermon to be published so others could hear it. On November 13, 1772, the sermon was published in the New London Gazette. The sermon was then printed by Timothy Green. It was the first known book published in English by a Native American. It became a bestseller, and ultimately 19 editions of the sermon were printed over the years. There's no telling how many people were saved through this sermon. Samson Ockham kept a diary from 1743 to 1790 that contained a lot of information about his daily life, and it has become an important historical artifact. He also had a collection of hymns and spiritual songs published. Because of these written works, Samson Ockham has been called the father of Native American literature. And remember, it all started with that sermon on Romans 6.23. Today, my guest is Nan Spearman. Thank you, Nan, for joining me. Well, thank you, Trent, for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I have gotten to join you on one earlier podcast, and so a lot of things have gone on since then, but I'm still excited about Jesus. That's right. <laughs> well, tell us about you and your family. Uh, as some of you know, I am married to Richard Spearman. He is a retired Baptist minister, and we have been married 50 years. Wow. Yes, I know. You think, did you marry when you were 10? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. But we have been married for 50 years. We have uh, three children, and we have nine grandchildren. So we have a lot of love to go around. And I, um, my son is Pastor uh, Dr. Brian Spearman at First Baptist uh, Marietta in South Carolina. And my daughter is involved with her husband, and he is a uh, Navy chaplain, and they are serving presently with the Marines in California. And my younger son is a builder, so you may see him out with some of the Mungo homes and supervising a project. So we're very proud of our children, and they all know Jesus, and that's the most exciting thing for us. I also would like to share just briefly how much I appreciate all of the many people who prayed for my daughter. She had a recent surgery that was very, very, very serious, and it has been a month now, and she is doing well, and I just really appreciate your prayers, and she does too. Well, you are welcome, and uh, yes, we are a praying church, as you know, so I know we had a lot of people praying for her, and 
I love you and your family. Um, I know Brian well over the years, and uh, he's been a big support to me in ministry. I, I talk to Brian every now and then and, and get encouragement. So I, I really do enjoy your family and what all you do to serve the Lord. So tell us what led you to Washington. Well, uh, when Richard and I retired, we moved from Buford to the Greer area, and we were looking for a Bible-believing church that was involved in prayer and missions, and we were led to visit Washington, and I think one of the things that impressed me the most was the openness to try new ministries and uh, the Bible teaching and... Um, of course, Drew Hines, Dr. Drew Hines is a very apt leader in, in Bible study. So, And we also really noticed that our um, staff worked together to serve God. And they weren't up there for entertainment, but they all seemed genuinely uh, happy to be serving Jesus. That's right. Well, I, I can say I think we are genuinely happy from what I see, too. Um, and I know I'm blessed to be a part of what's going on here at Washington. Well, tell us how you're involved here at Washington, because I know you and your husband, Richard, do a lot here. So well, share with us how you're involved. I am a firm believer in that every Christian should have a ministry. And of course, as you know, when we're younger, we're involved in different ministries. When I was 35, I was very involved with younger children. And as my children grew and as I've gotten older, I still am involved in ministry, but not as much with younger children as I am with adults. So I enjoy teaching Sunday school here. I've worked with RAs and GAs over the past three or four years, and, and I feel like we have such apt leaders for them now that are doing a great job. We're involved in choir. That's how I met my husband, through college choir. And uh, we have just gotten a jump start on our WMU again because we've been affected by COVID and so we wanted to do some special things and one of the things we're doing is monthly mission projects which you will see uh, little containers at the doors in the church of things that we are doing to help locally. Many people are not able to get out and uh, go and do hands-on work in missions, but if they donate paper goods, they're involved. So we have a different ministry each month. This month we're uh, collecting paper products for the Daily Bread Ministries, and we're also focusing on Operation Christmas Child. So we hope that uh, you can be a part of that because we do have the information throughout the church. We're also planning a family retreat for is sponsored by RAs and GAs at Camp McCall this weekend. We're very excited about it. The families can go together. Instead of the boys staying one place and the girls staying another place, their parents stay with uh, their own children. And Trent is going to be uh, leading some uh, Bible devotionals and uh, a time of, of learning for the whole family. So we really are excited about that. And that's this weekend, and we hope that uh, you will pray for us as we participate in this. That's right, yes, I'm looking forward to the family retreat. Um, my daughter, Kareth, is going uh, with me, and I think it's gonna be a great time to just focus on family worship and family discipleship and raising uh, your children in Christ and even discuss some of the difficulties, but, but give encouragement in that. Uh, that it can be done. It's about modeling Christ each and every day in your home. 
So I hope that's very supportive to our families. And I appreciate all the work you're doing with our WMU. As I know you're now working with Miriam Kirkland um, as kind of co-directors. Yes, and Miriam and I are very excited about this because it is a big job and it really helps to have two people involved in it. And at our recent WMU brunch, we had ladies sign up to be a part of a small group. And then a lot of ladies do work outside the home and have children and are really just uh, not able to come to an extra meeting. And so we've even given them an opportunity to sign up and participate in various projects. One of the projects is uh, being led by Serena Snow and she's having uh, little workshops and uh, there's going to be another one in November, I think it's the 17th, where you help pack the shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So that's one of our uh, mission endeavors. And like I say, God is good and we just love him and appreciate being able to serve. That's right. Well, there are lots of opportunities through the WMU um, with missions. And I know you uh, even have a a schedule of upcoming things for every month. And so just uh, remind people to be looking the newsletter and the bulletin as those announcements come out of what's coming ahead and ways they can participate because there's something every month that they can do to be involved. Yes, and what I really like about that is uh, when I pick up a toothbrush for myself, I can pick up an extra one and know that I'm helping someone in need. Mm -hmm. Especially, I pray over the uh, items that I buy that it will reach people for Jesus. That's right. Well, we appreciate the way that, that all the ways you serve um, in Sunday school and in leadership and different mission organizations. Uh, so we really appreciate your time and, and with our children as well, because you really do work with all ages. Well, what do you think is the best thing about Washington Baptist Church? I think that Washington Baptist Church has a worshipful atmosphere uh, it's not based on entertainment, but it's based on truly worshiping God. I think we have uh, a lot of friendly people. There's a ministry for all ages. And also, I guess the biggest thing is I really think we have a strong mission-mindedness. And if we have that, I think that we're, uh, we want to love and serve people right here at home and abroad. And that, I think that's what Jesus wants us to do, is to reach out and, and do as much as we can in trying to reach the world for him. That's right. I do think we have to keep the Great Commission always in our mind, that we're to be making disciples and leading people to Christ, teaching people to obey. Uh, so I appreciate those kind words and appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here. Nan Spearman mentioned she'll be helping with the GARA Family Retreat at Camp McCall this weekend, October 15th and 16th. This retreat will allow families the opportunity to spend quality time together, focus on God, and enjoy the outdoors. The retreat will include planned activities, free time, meals, and devotions focusing on family worship. Nan also provided some information about our upcoming WMU events. Please be on the lookout for whatever event is coming up next so you'll know how to be involved. If you'd like more information about our family retreat or our WMU ministry, please contact Nan Spearman or call the church office.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Washington Weekly. Washington Baptist Church is located at 3500 North Highway 14 in Greer, South Carolina. Check us out online at WashingtonBaptist.org. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast as you get into God's Word and prepare to serve.